0: So this is again Advent, a celebration of expectation, waiting and looking upon the Lord. And once again, I'm going to open up with a question, which will actually involve congregational participation. I'm curious, by a show of hands, how many of you have ever actually had someone come up to you and say, I've got good news and I've got bad news, which do you want first? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Now, having been asked that question, how many of you said, I want the bad news first? Most of you are in agreement with me. I don't understand why that question would be asked. It makes absolutely no sense to me. If someone says, I got bad and good, I'm always going to ask for the bad news first. And my logic is basically this. If you're about to give me some really bad news, I'm going to need some really good news after. You know, I'm not real thrilled about the good news. And, oh, but by the way. So for me, bad news first. Now, the reality is that many people in this world face bad news far too often. Just think for a moment of the last two years and all of the turmoil that has been within our land. I've told you in the past there have been times I have chosen to to have a type of fasting, fasting from news coverage and from social media. At those times, basically, I was becoming uh, overwhelmed by the stories, particularly of human cruelty and very particularly of the cruelty that parents will sometimes afflict on their children. I became overwhelmed by the meanness and the spitefulness that shows up on Facebook pages. And having become overwhelmed, I decided, I need a break. And I pulled away. Now eventually, when those times come, there comes a time when I break the fast. Because I cannot allow myself to be ignorant of the world in which I live. And I do not want to be the proverbial ostrich with his head stuck in the sand. And so I will start looking at news and even go into social media occasionally. Those of you who look at my Facebook page know that is very occasionally. The thing is, I have to wing myself. I can't jump from a time of silence and reflection before my Lord about the way the world is, and jump into one more story of absolute cruelty overnight. I can't just jump into the deep water of inhumanity. But today I want us to look at this from a little bit different perspective for just a moment. I want us to pretend that we are people of Judah. On our calendar... It's somewhere around 596 B.C. And there's been a prophet that's been showing up in Jerusalem all the time. And his message is always about judgment. A message of judgment almost day in and day out. Now, it's not that we're taking him very seriously. Most of us are dismissing what he has to say because there are a lot of other prophets that are telling us, don't listen to Jeremiah. Good times are coming. God's really going to bless this nation. And so we've chosen to ignore him. But now, news has gotten out. Babylon has come and taken King Jehoiakim and several other leading officials and whisked them away from Babylon. And bit by bit, over time, more and more of our people are being taken to Babylon. They're the best and the brightest. The ones that have the most to offer our culture are being whisked away. And for the first time, in all the time Jeremiah has been plaguing us, we begin to wonder, is he right? For the first time, the idea of judgment is starting to scare us. Because we're seeing it might actually happen. And then all of a sudden, Jeremiah shows up again. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear one more word of judgment. But when Jeremiah spoke, it's not what we expected. And what Jeremiah spoke to a people after so many messages of judgment is found in Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16. I will be reading from the New American Standard today and will share with you the reasons why. But I'm going to ask you to stand as we look at the word of God together and open your hearts to what God had to say through his prophet. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch of David sprout and he will execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. God bless the reading of his word and you may be seated. It's important that you know, in the context of Jeremiah, our passage falls in the middle of what are known as oracles of judgment, and particularly in chapters one through twenty-five, pretty much all Jeremiah says, other than his call, is judgment, 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 and it will follow the passages that we will, the passage we're looking at today, uh, over and over again. Jeremiah is. A passage of gloom. And it is true, people were not taking him seriously. But now, with Babylon knocking on the door and actually taking the king away, Judah can't ignore the words. Now, judgment seems real and the people are crushed. And then Jeremiah does something completely and totally unexpected. Chapters 30 through 33 of Jeremiah have been known at least as far back as the Protestant reformer Martin Luther as the little book of comfort. Sandwiched in between passages that say judgment is coming, all of a sudden hope is given. Nobody would have ever expected Jeremiah to be a prophet of hope. In fact, he is known through the centuries as the weeping prophet because so often it was about judgment. These chapters break the cycle of judgment oracles for just a moment. And this morning's text actually is part of the climactic verses of the little book of comfort. And in this passage, God gave his people a promise of restoration. And when God gave them that promise of restoration, folks, they understood and would come to understand even more during the full-fledged captivity, this was a promise to cherish. This would be what would help the people during their time of exile in Babylon to understand God was with them. Now, today our world seems to be racing toward judgment. It's getting to the place now, almost every other week, somebody asks me, Danny, is the end near? Is judgment actually coming? Is this the end of the world? And very often they'll point to specific events that are happening. Surely this must be it. And I will will tell them, as I tell you now, I don't know when the end is coming. I believe it will be in my lifetime, but so has every generation of Christian since the promise was given. What I do know is the Word of God calls us to be ready. So I don't know if it's happening, but what I do know is that we desperately need a word of promise from God today, don't we? The world is overwhelming. The world is frightening. and We need to know that God is on His throne and He reigns. So we're going to take a look at this promise that God gave Israel and Judah. And we're going to look at elements of that promise that on this Sunday Advent of peace, we need to firmly hold on to. And the very first is similar to something I told you last week. i got to mention the ladies' class for just a minute because ever since I've been here from time to time, a member of the ladies' class will come up and ask me, are you using the Sunday school literature to pick out what you're going to preach? And I say, no, I've got what I'm going to preach way out in advance, the, the plans as God has led me. And then they say, but it, it sounded just like today's Sunday school lesson. And my response is, sometimes God has a way of trying to get our attention. Have you ever noticed that? The message you need doesn't just show up in one place. You keep hearing it. And that's kind of like, okay, are you paying attention? So I'm going to share with you something similar to what I said last week, and I need you to hold on and listen. The first element of the promise here, the one that should give us hope forever and ever, God keeps His Word. God keeps His Word. Now, I I talked about that last week, that God said, I'm going to fulfill the promise I gave. But the context of the passages, the prophecies, are extremely different. The message of the prophecies are very different. Malachi does go on to say God will honor the covenant, but in the meantime he also says by honoring the covenant he is first going to come and judge you and purify you with fire and lie. Jeremiah's prophecy that says God will keep his word is nothing but goodness. One of the reasons I have chosen the NASB to read from today the first reason is that little word behold a lot of in Natalie's translation you use the word look you'd be amazed at how many translations in English completely ignore that word and just jump into the promise itself I don't want you to ignore it because whenever you see the word behold in a, an Old Testament prophet it is saying pay attention. God is about to give you the word you need. And then, the other reason, the New American Standard translates literally the words that are translated promise in almost every other English translation. And it translates them, the good word. The good word, and Jeremiah's good word is completely about promise. There is no message at all of judgment in what Jeremiah had to say, which is probably good because they would have dismissed everything else he said after that. They didn't want to hear about judgment. They didn't believe in judgment. And it is fair to say, and this is going to sound harsh, but we could say with certainty the situation that people found themselves in in Judah at this moment lay squarely as a result of everything they had been doing. And Jeremiah would have been within his rights to address the people of Judah about to go into judgment and tell them, this is your fault. It's not that Babylon is more powerful than Judah or Israel. It's not that Babylon is more powerful than God. These people had not listened to Jeremiah. They had not listened to Amos before him. They had not listened to all the different prophets. The judgment was coming. They completely ignored God's word altogether. And God finally says, it's time for the judgment to come. So Babylon takes over Judah because God is going to use her as his tool of discipline, punishment upon his people. And the people are in despair. It's interesting, the captivity in Egypt lasted hundreds of years. The captivity in Babylon lasted just seven years. Seventy, excuse me. Seventy years, big difference in time. But the people of Israel still point to Babylon as being one of the darkest moments in their history. Because with them, it appeared that God had failed. It appeared that the gods of Babylon were far more powerful. And they are in despair. But instead of saying, as he could have, this is your doing, he tells them, God has got a good word for you. The Lord has clearly stated in these passages, these texts, The good word would be fulfilled for both Israel and Judah. And the good word that the prophets gave to the people of Israel throughout this time frame covered the the entire panorama of everything wonderful and amazing and true. The Lord was not going to ultimately reject His people. He was going to be faithful. They may have failed the covenant, He would not. Now, honestly speaking, I've talked to you about my fasting from those things that are overwhelming. The reality, when we know the Lord let His people know that He has not forsaken the covenant, He's let them understand that. I am with you. I will not forsake you. I will restore you. The reality is we need such a word, don't we? God would not forsake the covenant He made with Israel. He would not forsake the covenant that goes all the way back to Abraham and every major covenant given. And Jeremiah talks in his his book about a new covenant that will one day come. God will not forsake His people. And we need to understand that Simply because there are times it is hard to see God at work. At times it's hard to see that God is moving. We are surrounded by evil on every hand. And there are people who are in utter despair over what's happening. They don't see a way out. All they can see is absolute disillusion of America as we know it, of the world as whole. There's no way to fix this. Reinhold Niebuhr was an American theologian, uh, very prominent about mid-20th century. He wrote an incredible book on Christ and culture that talks about how Christians should deal with the culture in which they live. But he talked about despair. And he said something incredibly profound for me. He, He associated despair with our failed attempts to find security for ourselves. Again, out of interest, and I know this, answer, But if you were a child of the Cold War, would you raise your hand? Folks, I heard and I believed the idea that the only way we could keep the communists at bay is if we had a stockpile of nuclear weapons that would scare them. And as a 20 something, I was at a conference where I was told, along with everyone else, there was enough of a nuclear proliferation gathering of weapons throughout the world. There were enough nuclear weapons to kill every man, woman, and child on earth 10 times. And my reaction was once isn't enough. It was scary, it was frightening. And think about the 60s in which I was a child. Uh, My family refers to me as a hippie. I'm technically too young to be a hippie. Uh, But I grew up in an era. We had assassinations. We had the conflict in Vietnam that spilled into our streets and violent demonstrations. We had a violence uh, during the Civil Rights Movement of people who wanted to maintain the the status quo and often did horrible things to each other. And there was violence on the other end as well. It was a time when we were divided deeply and some of us thought we would never get through it. And Niebuhr suggests that's because the modern mindset could not focus on the reality that God had an alternate ending. We were so focused on the pain and the suffering and the frustration and the anger and hatred. We lost sight as a people that God was still on his throne and God had a plan. So there was a secular move in our country at that time and people were absolutely without hope. And that kind of feeling can creep in on us as well. Those of us who know God can find ourselves in despair if we forget that God promises, I've got something better for you. We are called to remember God's promise, presence in our lives. Lo, I am with you always. I will not leave you as orphans. As he said to Joshua, don't be afraid, I am with you. We have to remember this. We are called to remember that God has acted on behalf of his people and will again so act. And someone has pointed out, we can't force God's hand. We can say, God, come right now and do something. We can't force it. But, if we are open, if we place ourselves in His hands and learn to trust Him, we might actually be part of the solution. We can trust. We can trust that God will do what He promised. Just like Jeremiah, we are called to trust God's Word. Like the people who went into exile in Babylon and were broken and in despair. It shows up in Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept. When they said to us, Sing us the song of Zion. How can we sing a song of Zion in a strange land? Utterly broken. But while in Babylon, bit by bit, there were people who would go back and look at passages like Jeremiah. There were people who were gathering to pray. There were people who were seeking God. People like Ezekiel. And hope began to be built up again. We are called to trust and that promise given by God that He keeps His Word can help us avoid despair. It can conquer despair. And in doing so it brings us to the next element of the promise. Because folks, this is where the promise starts really coming alive in a powerful way. God will send a deliverer. God will send to deliver. Now again, Malachi said, God is bringing the messenger of the covenant to you. But with Malachi, he's coming to judge you first, and then he purifies. Here, the branch of David is all about deliverance. The branch of David would come to execute justice and righteousness. Now this image, the branch, is actually used several places in the prophets. It's used in Isaiah chapter 4 and chapter 11. It comes up earlier in Jeremiah in chapter 23. It's found in Zechariah, the third chapter. And all of these things is a common metaphor. And what it is basically saying, God was going to raise up a righteous descendant of David who would bring salvation to Judah, who would rule with a wisdom, and a grace and righteousness empowered by the very spirit of God, and the branches, prophecies, all of those that prophesy side the branch are saying, there is going to come one day a king. But the reality is, no normal Davidic king ever fulfilled this promise. There never came such a king. After the Babylonian exile, the people went back to Judah. After that, the people of God never had a king again from David's lineage or any other line. And the exiles, there's no evidence that they even tried to install a king. That they actually thought we can raise up a king who will lead us. And you may say, now wait a minute, Danny. I know my Bible. In the New Testament, there are kings of the Jews. Well, the problem is, folks, Herod and his descendants were not even Jewish. They were Edomian, which are the descendants of the land of Edom, one of Israel's worst enemies. Edom shows up in that beautiful Psalm 137, the lament, the pain about being in exile, in one of the most horrific-sounding verses ever. You see, Edom, when Babylon was coming against Judah, Edom was cheering Babylon on. Burn it to the ground. Destroy it. And the way the Israelites, the Jewish, the Judeans felt about him, simple. Happy is he who takes your little ones and dashes them against the stone. They wanted Edom completely wiped out. And now Rome, kind of to thumb a nose in their face, put Edomians at the throne. There was never going to be, at that time or since, another king out of the line of David. But the promise is, God was going to raise a righteous king. The stump of David, picture a dead tree stump. There's no life in it at all. And God says, I'm going to cause a branch to grow. In some places, the image is a shoot. Out of that dead nest, There's going to come life. The people of God had lost hope that there would ever be another king like David. But they began to look at texts like this one. And their hope was kindled. God's going to do something new. God's going to do something different. God is going to raise somebody up who will take care of us. They longed for this one. They yearned for the anointed one of God to come And give life to them. They longed for the one they called Mashiach. In our English transliteration, they were longing for Messiah. The anointed one of God who would come and set them free. And this is one passage that gave them that hope. Sometime in the future, God was going to raise up a Messiah, an anointed one who would bring this promise to pass and the people of God would be restored. And so in Babylon, they started having hope. One day, one day Messiah will come. And I want you to understand, the messianic hope of God's word lives on. Now we are in Advent. I told you last week, one of my favorite seasons of the year. Advent itself, the word means Coming. And Advent looks at two, a twofold understanding of the promise of Messiah who comes. His first coming, we will be celebrating in a few weeks. The birth of a child that would grow up and live a perfect life and ultimately give himself as the perfect sacrifice. Born into a poor family, God, very God, took upon himself the form of flesh. We know they were poor because when they dedicated Jesus at the temple, they offered turtle doves as a sacrifice. A provision of the of the law that would allow a poor person to do the sacrificial dedication. And I know you may be thinking, but Joseph was a carpenter. Carpenters make good work. Yeah, if you're in 2020 and you're building a beautiful set for someone's dishes, you can get a lot of money. Carpenter in Jesus' day basically meant a day laborer who would make enough money. To keep his family alive one day at a time. And he came. And he was born. I'm like Natalie, I don't think the manger was calm. And when we're told that the cattle are crying and Jesus awake, but little old Jesus, no crying he makes, I think he probably screamed his lungs out. There was nothing that set him apart from anybody else. But Mary had the promise. This was God's son. But the other side of Advent is looking for another aspect of coming. When the King of kings and Lord of lords will one day come and bring the kingdom of God to its fulfillment. And we're looking forward to not just celebrating the birth of Christ, but this year stirs up a longing in our hearts. This year, the last few years, I imagine it's caused more and more Christians to pray the prayer. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Gary Charles shares the words from a Lutheran pastor that were shared with him. The pastor was serving in one of the roughest parts of the Bronx in New York, listen to the words. Probably the le- reason I love Advent so much is that it is a reflection about how I feel most of the time. I might not feel sorry during Lent, which the liturgical calendar begs repentance. Now we don't observe Lent, but we live in an area where a lot of people do, so we know as Baptists a basic idea: forty years, uh, forty years, forty days of fasting, forty days of repentance. Forty days of sacrifice. And the pastor said, "I don't always feel sorry at Lent. Then I might not feel victorious, even though it is Easter morning. I might not feel the full the pull of the Spirit, even though it is Pentecost and the liturgy spins out every fiery gust of ecstasy. But during Advent, I am always in sync with the season. Advent unfailingly embraces and comprehends my reality. And what is that?" I think of the Spanish word, anhelo, which means longing. Advent is when the church can no longer contain its unfulfilled desire. And the cry of anhelo bursts forth, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, Oh come, O oh come, Emmanuel. We want Him to come. We long for the day when the suffering of this world will be over forever. We long for an existence where violence and war are long forgotten not even a faded memory. We long for the moment when the Messiah of God will break through history and establish the kingdom of God forever and ever. Amen. We long, we ache, we yearn for a promise to finally be fulfilled. And our hope is this. We can rejoice that our salvation will be fulfilled. Folks, let your heart grab onto that. Because God is a God who keeps His Word. One day, all that is wrong, all that is broken, all that is hateful in this world will be dealt with and fade out of our existence. The promise of God stands firm. Our salvation will be fulfilled. What we hope to see, the glory of the Lord in its completeness, the the throng of believers gathered about the throne singing praises to God Almighty, a world that and, and, and an existence that will never know pain again, that's going to happen. But until that day, we are waiting in holy expectation. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Emmanuel. The Deliverer will show up. Not only in that act of atonement by which we can call God Father, but He will show up to, be, to rid us of all pain and suffering. And until that day, we have one more element a promise to hold on to. God will shower peace upon His people. God will shower peace. Jeremiah has given them a lot of bad news. Judgment is coming. But here he gives an incredible good news. And what God spoke through Jeremiah was very clear. God gave a promise that a battered and worn people desperately needed. He said, my people will be saved. Now, when we hear the word saved, this side of Calvary and the empty tomb, we think primarily saved from sin, saved from the dangers of hell. We think of we are now Christians. But in the Old Testament, to say you are being saved Primarily focused on rescue and deliver from earthly enemies. God saved Israel out of Egypt and destroyed their enemies. God saved Judah when Syria was on the march from a threat of Syria. God will save out ahead of them now Judah from Babylon. He's going to take care of the enemy. They will no longer be under the thumb of other rulers. Now occasionally in the Old Testament it is true that idea of saved does show up to talk about salvation from guilt, sin, and punishment. But more often than not when they heard saved, God is going to deliver us. Think of the book of Judges and all the times God would raise up a judge to save Israel. And then he says, Jerusalem, will live in safety now they read from a translation that says they will live securely it's a good translation the basic idea is they will be they will be experiencing well-being and in, and they will experience safety and security because they have someone in whom they can confide someone in whom they can place their confidence the lord God Almighty would save them. So they finally came to the place of understanding that at some time God would help hold them within His grasp. He wasn't going to let them go. They did not have to live in fear. And as that messianic hope grew, the people of God looked constantly for the day Messiah would show up. There's a passage of Scripture that I share a lot with people who are hurting. I shared it with people who are in the hospital, who are on the last legs of life. They're barring a miracle. They're very soon going to go on to be with the Lord. I have shared it with families at funerals when their loved one has died. And I share part of that passage with you now. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth shakes and the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, stop striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And this was the hope and promise of Judah as it goes into into captivity. All of the people of God, the day was coming when God's people would finally and fully know peace. And this is where the promise has such life for us if we'll just pay attention. The peace of God has begun to be known. We can experience at some level the peace of God right here, right now in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our pain. It is a peace that comes because Jesus died on a cross and was raised from the dead for our salvation. We have peace with God. The Bible says before we came to know God, we were at war with Him. But Christ has come and has built a bridge of reconciliation by which we can call God Father. Peace with God that will make us whole. Stormy and Michael O'Mardian wrote decades ago a beautiful song done by the Imperials with Jim Murray in the lead that talks about what Christ has done for us. Pieces. Pieces. So many pieces to my life scattered all around, and some of them are gone, and I know that I can't ever put them back together again. Pieces, pieces, so many pieces to my life, a puzzle left unfinished, jumbled and unformed. who can really ever fit it all together again? In a vision like a daydream that filters through your mind, I saw Jesus coming closer holding all my hopes combined. He spoke with great compassion as he put one hand on me and in the other hand he held what I could never see. He said, pieces, pieces. I've got all the pieces of your life. In my hands I hold the pieces of every single day. I can put them all together so they'll never fall away. I can put them all together And there will never be another one who can. He takes the brokenness of our lives, the pain and struggle, the frustration, the despair. And because of His love and His great sacrifice, He can put us into wholeness. We can know a peace that comes from God that surpasses our wildest dreams. And with that available peace, we can face a world of turmoil. We can stand strong in the midst of pain. And we can have hope in a situation that appears hopeless as we ask God to rain His peace down into our hearts and into our lives. And remember, we are affirming that God keeps His Word and this tells me that we can know that this peace will one day be made complete. I thank God for every moment of peace he brings into my life. We can know the peace that is ours right now, the peace which passes understanding, the peace that comes from God. But, friends, ahead of us, somewhere out there, is complete and perfect peace. And we pray for that day to come. We rejoice that there will come a time when all we will ever know again is peace of God. That promise of God will be fulfilled. Looking forward to that day will help us to stand firm in this day. There's another important passage of Scripture that I frequently use when I'm conducting a, a funeral of someone who has a strong testimony of faith. They love Jesus and it's shown throughout their lives. At the graveside, side, I will 95% of the time read the existence that they're beginning to know and one day we will all know. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Folks, that's what's waiting for us. And my brain can't even begin to wrap around that one statement. There will never be any more pain. Never any more sorrow. I look forward in anticipation but that will be foreign to my existence here. But we can trust him because he keeps his word. And peace that we have now will be multiplied beyond our dreams to perfect peace. Michael Ramsden once shared, he was teaching a group of people on loving one's neighbor, that that commandment that Kind of many times we wish Jesus hadn't quite said that because our neighbors are really not fun. Ramson is teaching on the absolute necessity of that. And he shared something. A colleague of his was in Asia. And while he was speaking to the people there, he asked the audience to close their eyes and imagine peace. After a few seconds, the audience was invited to share their mental pictures of peace. And one by one, they came. One person described a field with flowers and beautiful trees. Another person spoke of snow-capped mountains and an incredible alpine landscape. And still another described the scene of a beautiful still lake. Ramsden's friend pointed out, after everyone described their mental picture of peace, there was one thing common in them all. There were no people in them. When they thought of peace, it's them in a beautiful setting in nature. And Ranston commented, isn't it interesting, when asked to imagine peace, the first thing we do is to eliminate everyone else. Men's true peace isn't getting rid of everyone else. True peace becomes more than a promise. It becomes a reality when we remember that God does keep His Word. It becomes a reality as we embrace the Deliverer who has come to save us from our sins, and ultimately will come to save us from even the presence of evil. True peace comes as we open ourselves to the peace that only God can bring and shower upon His people. So today, whatever turmoil you're facing, whatever battle is yours, whatever struggle you are having to deal with, Today, would you cast yourself into the arms of a God who promises true and lasting peace? Will you yield yourself into His hands and give to Him your fears, your sorrows? Ask Him to help you receive the peace that passes understanding. Today, I, to use a good Paul term, I beseech you. Open yourself truthfully to the Prince of Peace. Release your struggle into his hands. Hold on to his loving hand through faith. Surrender to the peace of God. The peace that is with God, from God, and of God. And on this Sunday Advent of Peace we've looked at this beautiful promise. Let's make a commitment. Let us cherish the promise. Let us hold on to it in faith, and grace, and ask God. Let us not forget. Christ has come to bring peace.